Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. You're listening to the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast, Episode 37. Erin Rainey is a wildlife camerawoman based in Alaska, Washington State, and she also has temporary residence in the Falkland Islands. Erin has a variety of remote field experience, both on boats and land, and has set up and run remote field camps in Alaska. After finishing her Bachelor of Science in Wildlife Ecology at Washington State University and working as a field technician in the rainforests of Madagascar, Erin completed her Master's in Wildlife Documentary Production in England. She then began interning with Mark Emery Films and assisting cameramen in the field. Erin now works as a camerawoman for companies such as the BBC, PBS, Smithsonian Channel and the National Geographic Channel. She is currently working on a new National Geographic series and has just finished an episode on a children's conservation series for CBBC that she both filmed and hosted. As well as filming wildlife on land, Erin is a deep sea video engineer. She originally trained during an internship with Dr. Robert Ballard's exploration vessel Nautilus, controlling live cameras on ROVs at depths of 4,000 meters. Erin is a third-generation commercial fisherwoman on the largest sockeye salmon run in the world, and she still runs a commercial set net fishing operation in Bristol Bay, Alaska. She is a trained guide and naturalist in bear country and has consulted with production companies for Alaska-based films. She is also an FAA certified drone pilot, a certified wilderness first responder, and a BZAC certified scuba diver. Good morning, Erin. Thank you so much for taking the time out to be on the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast. How are you doing this morning? Good. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. You know, we've worked really, really hard to get you on the podcast, haven't we? We did. Our schedules were all over the place. So I'm glad it's finally happening. Yeah, I think this must be something like our fourth or fifth attempt to get you on the show. I think we're somewhere up there. (laughs) Yeah, so that's excellent. So we finally got you here. Well, fantastic. Now, you've you've got a lot going on, Erin. You have, um, you know, reading through your bio and the programs that you've done just in the last five or six years is incredible. And so there's a lot of people really, really interested to find out about your journey, how you've got to where you are, where you're headed, and um, and really just the trials and tribulations of, of this kind of career. So let's start at the beginning, like we always do. Um, what was it that led you into this career with uh, wildlife filmmaking? So I actually originally went to school to be a veterinarian, and I got sidetracked by wildlife ecology and ended up getting my um, undergrad in wildlife ecology. I had some jobs in that, and I worked in that for about a year. And during that year, I went to Madagascar. 
Um, I was a field technician on a lemur population dynamic count and um, was in tents for three months. And I picked up a camera, a little DSLR. I think it was a Pentax, one of those like waterproof ones, but you could still change the lenses. Had no idea what I was doing, but completely fell in love with cameras during that. And I brought the photos back to my mom's classroom. My mom's a librarian and science teacher for an elementary school and kind of gave a little talk about it to the kids and every single book about lemurs and Madagascar was checked out. And that kind of was that like aha moment, like you can, you can bring science to people using this imagery. And I think that's kind of what really got me excited about the idea. I'm from a small town. No one I know works in TV. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what kicked it off. So I applied for a master's in wildlife documentary production in England and moved over and did that. that that's fantastic. Yep. There's so many people who I think in, in the science world who, who suddenly have this aha moment of like film, uh, you know, video pictures just opens up this whole new world because it's bringing awareness and it's getting you into people's living rooms to talk about some of the research going on. I know with people like Rick Rosenthal, who was the first person ever on the podcast, you know, that mm -hmm. exactly happened to him. He's like, I've written all these papers that no one <laughs> reads <laughs> and I make a film and now like a billion people have seen my films. It, it's astonishing. So um, I love the fact you also you fell in love with, uh, you know, with the camera and, and doing that. I had a one of those little um, Instamatic C, CNC, I think it was, cameras years ago, bright orange. And, yeah. you know, it, it had no lenses you could remove. It was just point and shoot. And the thing would fog up and you just had to point it in a direction and hope for the best. But so, so that's wonderful. Now you're in Alaska as well. Is that right? Um, so currently I'm in Washington. I actually base out of both Alaska and Washington. Um, winters in Washington, just because uh, flights are always canceled <laughs> out of the little town my family, my family's in in Alaska. Um, so I have family both in Washington and Alaska and just switch between. And now the Falkland Islands too. So I've added, added another place. Excellent. Well, mm -hmm. you're no stranger to moving around. And I mean, yep. it sounds like I know you said you moved to England. Tell us a little bit about what happened when you went over to England to do your master's. Well, I had never actually been to England. Um, I applied for two programs. Um, I didn't get into University of West England in Bristol. Um, but I did get into University of Salford. So I went there and I got on the plane, had my two bags packed. And luckily I had some amazing flatmates who picked me up and kind of got me sorted. And I was with some really great people um, in the course who are now doing really great things. One's working on the Green Planet series, um, just all sorts of things. And yeah, it was just a really amazing opportunity to learn about the industry because I came again from somewhere where I had no idea what jobs were in the industry. I had no idea how filming worked whatsoever. So I went in with, you know, that kind of deer in the headlight look and, and ended up, it, it ended up being a really good thing. I think I learned the most in the field, but that was a great introduction because people always ask me, do I need to do a master's? And it completely depends on who you are and what's going to be useful. I know amazing camera people that have never done any sort of formal education and i know amazing camera people who have and it's just what works for you 
Yeah, absolutely. I think you probably were, you get so many leads from working with other people uh, in a degree, and you're in that environment where you're all kept inspired and what have you. So it certainly can help. But as you say, there's so many people in this industry that have zero college background. Um, yeah. So so then you did your master's there. What was the first? Because I know that you went on to intern then. But what was the first? Uh, what what happened once you you got your master's in the UK? So once I got my master's, immediately after I finished and turned in my thesis, I went to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, for the Jackson Wild Film Festival, and I was a volunteer. And it's such an amazing opportunity, as you probably know, because if you volunteer, it's free board, so you get to stay there, and you get to go to the festival, and you're working, but they're really good about letting you go to which, like, whatever events you want to, and they're really good about... Um, kind of helping their volunteers step in, but also making it more affordable because Jackson's not an affordable place to go uh, otherwise. Yeah. Um, and I met Mark Emery, who's a cameraman um, who bases out of Florida and Alaska. And it was just over drinks we were talking. I was just talking to different people in the room. And and it was quite funny, actually, because his wife is on the radio for Fish and Game. And I had heard her voice for the past I think it's been over a decade when I oh, met wow. her. So I recognized her voice and I, it was kind of this weird connection because it's this little village in Alaska that we spend part of the summer in. And, and I was like, okay, this is weird. Your voice is really familiar. And it turned out I'd been listening to her voice for over 10 years. So That's we kind of had that connection. I showed them some footage of Alaska that I'd gone out and shot and, he said, if you buy a plane ticket and come down, you can come work with me for a few weeks and just learn. And so I booked a ticket that night and 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 left the next week to go to go work with him. That's fantastic. I mean, that just those meetings, just you say having a drink with someone and, and mm -hmm. just those things happen. And, and this industry is very much like that. So you 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 went to Florida. How long did you intern with Mark? Um, I was with him off and on for a year and a half, two years, working with him, assisting. The first assisting job I did formally with him was about nine months after I'd met him, and it was in Katmai National Park. Um, so I assisted him and another cameraman there, and then started to pick up more and more work assisting other camera people as well. Awesome. So was that your first pay as an intern? I'm assuming that was unpaid intern work? That was unpaid, yeah. Okay. So and then when you were assisting, was that your first paid work? That was or my first paid work was, yeah, in Katmai National Park. Fantastic. Now, what is the time scale here? What year was it that you did your master's in the UK? I did my master's 2014 through 2015. Okay, so we're talking so that six, one year. seven years ago. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So uh, then you did that. You, you then you um, so you went to Mark Emery Films. You got your pay, first paid gig a few months later, assisting. Yep. Then what was the trajectory after that? To before you kind of got behind the camera and started uh, becoming a camera woman. Well, I I am kind of one of those people that decides they want to do something, so I like fully dive head first in, and um, I had a lot of savings from. Well, I had, like I said, I'd wanted to go to vet school and I'd worked since I was 13. So I'd saved all that money and ended up getting scholarships for university. So I didn't have to pay for any of it. Um, so I used that money that was all saved up for, for college, essentially, and um, bought a red camera. 
and just started going out and shooting on my own. Um, anytime I was working at an adventure lodge too in the summers to kind of help pay for things. So it's my uncle's adventure lodge. So I would, um, you know, go out in the mornings before work, work at the front desk or work guiding or work waitressing or shuttle driving, whatever he needed, and then go out after work because summers you have really long hours in Alaska where it's bright out. So I just had my camera out pretty much as often as I could. So once I started kind of working on the red and building kind of my own footage, then I started to get, you know, work that was more like second camera or kind of archive stuff and then still doing assisting jobs. That's wonderful. And I think what's um, so interesting about this for people who are listening who want to do something similar is just that you were in a place where you weren't afraid to hop across the pond like you know from Alaska to the UK to Florida to Jackson Wild you know you you were all in regardless of where the action was happening and yeah and 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 the thing I always tell people too is I'm like don't be afraid to work other jobs like it's not a bad thing to be you know driving a shuttle car for a lodge like it's not you should never be embarrassed by stuff like that like even talking to other people in the industry like that's that's great. You have to do that seasonal work in order to like leave time free to do those sorts of things. Absolutely. And even as the the more, you know, seasoned you get, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have work every month of the year. I no. think so many people are under the impression that it's easy to get work, not necessarily easy, but there are there's work as camera people with production units and that's how it works, but the majority of camera people are freelance. And mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you've got to find that work. You've got to perpetually be out there looking for work and, and keeping your ear to the ground. Yeah. And that doesn't really change. I know over the years, gosh, to keep a camera in my hands, I've done everything from music videos to, <laughs> to you name it, commercials, um, really anything that bought the money in, in between those wildlife filmmaking jobs. Yep. So... Take us on to what you've been doing more recently and where kind of you're headed. Now, actually, something else I want to mention, because this goes back a, a bit as well, is you're also a live video engineer for Nautilus. I am, that, yes. Tell us a bit about yep. that. So Nautilus is an amazing ocean exploration ship. I'm actually leaving in tomorrow to go back on it. Um, <laughs> I got you just in time. <laughs> yeah, you got me right in time. Um and they do deep sea exploration. So you're on a team with ROV pilots, deep sea navigators that do ocean mapping and scientists. Um, and as a video engineer, you control the cameras that are on the ROVs that go down under and you're controlling the cameras on the ship and you're working the live stream and controlling the audio. Um, so it's quite a full on job. And then you're also, we're doing some filming on deck as well with cameras. Um, so it's a lot, but it's really cool because Nautilus does an internship scheme and there's a video engineering internship and that's how I got started. And it's, it's, um, it, they cover all your expenses. They give you a stipend every week. That's pretty generous. Um, so it's a great way to kind of get your foot in the door. And now I do contract work with them. So I'll do a month or two here, or there every year. And it's just a, a really 
awesome an another addition and it's really good for practicing focus because the rov goes in and out and in and out it's never sitting still so you're constantly working at the focus that's awesome I and mean, that's just another string to your bow because it, yeah. i mean it sounds similar almost to a shot over working remotely and and what what an adventure i mean being able to see the things that that those cameras see at those depths you know being it's amazing person. and you're with some of the most amazing scientists in the world and you're getting to hear them get excited about a sponge and learning so much each time. So it's just got this great energy in the control room. And like I said, they're so great about bringing up new talent and they offer that internship every year. So it's just a great way to expand your, your, your ability to work in different areas. Absolutely. So when, when was it that you did that internship? Was that before or after your master's? That was after. I think it was okay. a year or two after my master's. Yep. I can't so, remember how many years it's been. <laughs> well, so you've really looked at ways in which you can expand your repertoire and be in a place where you just have all of these different things going on. And as you say, if you can go away for a month or two, paid work a year to work on uh, the Nautilus and be filming video underwater and then come back and do topside stuff, it's, you know, it's a really good place to be. And I think it's a great way to map out a career to have those, mm -hmm. those regular jobs in there. So, yeah. so tell us a bit about what you're doing now, the, the, the kind of jobs that you've been working. I know you've been working on a lot of big BBC and Nat Geo programs. So tell us a bit about that. So the last year and a half, I've been working with Wildstar and um, being mentored by Sophie Darlington on a big project that's coming out on Disney and uh, Nat Geo. So the last year and a half, I've been working on that. I've been doing a lot of long that's lens Queens. on it. That's yep, Queens, Queens. Right? Yep. So I've been doing a lot of long lens work on it, but they've also, I just got back where they were training me on shot over and some of the night cameras. So it's been a really great learning experience and getting feedback from Sophie has been just amazing. It's, I want to get better. And the only way you get better is to have people be honest with you. So it's been, it's been really amazing to kind of get to see my footage progress throughout the year and a half. That's wonderful. And yeah, Sophie's amazing. And, yeah. um, and, and so getting to work with people like Sophie, this, this explain a little bit about Queens, because there's not a lot of information about, or, or and there's no clips or anything available yet, I don't think. Nope, so, there isn't. Yeah, tell, tell us what you're able to about the... the... Gonna, it is limited what I, I can say. I was going to say, you probably can't <laughs> say too much. Um, we are finishing, I think we're finishing filming up next year. Um, it's on matriarch societies and wildlife and um, Wildstar has been really pushing to get more diversity behind the camera. So that's a big part of it as well. And to support women that are moms or support, you know, people with different backgrounds. They've, they're working with people in Kenya. They're working with people from the States. They're working with people from all over. Um, so are you on camera in this one or are you just behind no, the camera? No, behind the camera. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I'm so it's a blue chip. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. So, so that's wonderful that they are being that they, they really want to bring diversity to the to the screen and and yeah. bring you guys in, get you all trained up in all of the. I mean, that's a dream come true, right? Yeah. Someone in your it position is. wants to <laughs> learn about camera really work, is. and now you're going out and you're doing all of these other trainings. So, so they're they're training you, so they're taking you and getting you trained up in these things for this show. Yep. Yeah, yeah I mean, so it's just a way to, um, you know, support women in the industry. So there's there's two of us that are on a sort of bursary 
Um, and I think that's about all I can share, yeah, to be no, honest. Fair enough. I, I totally understand. And that's awesome. I mean, that's yeah. such a such a great way to, to get trained up. So tell us a little bit. You can probably talk about CBC's Planet Defenders. Now, that's the one. I can talk about that a lot. <laughs> okay, great. So you're on screen in that one, I believe, as well as doing camera work. I am. I, I will be honest, being on screen is has never been a goal of mine. It's never been something I was excited to do, but I did some of it for a personal project after an editor that's working on my project really pushed me to do it. And when it came to being a kid's show about conservation, I couldn't say no. <laughs> I was I was like, this is such a great opportunity and such a great idea. So well, and it you're, got me you're, out of my comfort zone. Yeah, which is perfect. So, And you're on camera, though, with your camera. It's like a behind-the-scenes almost of you yeah. filming The Penguins, I believe, your episode. Yep. So it, it, it's in some ways better than having to be a you know stand-up host and hosting <laughs> something. Yeah. Um, it's you more in your element, right? I've got my security blanket, essentially. <laughs> my, camera's, my camera's my security blanket throughout the whole thing. Yeah, well, that's fantastic because I think those kind of shows are getting so much more popular these days as opposed mm -hmm. to being a presenter-led show. It's more, you know, someone actually doing their craft and explaining behavior and what they're yeah. seeing. Um, it's becoming very popular. And I think shows like Planet Earth, when that last 10 minutes started, um, you know, that, that became, I think, one of the most watched pieces of the entire the entire series. So um, yeah. it's it's a good way to do it. Now, now you've been involved with a lot of um, TV shows over the last few years. Tell us a bit more about some of the other shows uh, that you've been involved with, like Seven, oh. Seven Worlds. Yeah, so I, I filmed on the Albatross sequence for Seven Worlds. John Aitchinson is the main cameraman and Ollie Jelly was on it as well. Um, and I kind of shot long lens with John. Um, but that was amazing. We spent a month there. I was also on the boat crew for that. So I had joined the boat crew and then ended up on the film crew as well. Um, and of course, that's another part of your repertoire, right? You, you're you <laughs> used to being on boats. Yep. You probably don't get seasick, I'm assuming. No, nope. so, <laughs> I've gotten seasick for about one hour. On It was actually on the way back from this and we hit quite a big storm and I, I was seasick for an hour and I honestly don't know how people who get seasick go on boats because I was so miserable for yeah. that short yeah. period and I was just going down to write in um we have a log book so you, you take a log every hour of how everything's doing and I'd gone down to do it and we were just all over the place and yeah I went and finished my my watch and then went to bed <laughs> I right. was pretty done yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been very badly sick on boats before. Yeah, but generally, I don't know how people do it. Yeah, no, it, it's rough. It's rough for sure. But but having that ability, I mean, I, I know shows that have been filmed with non-camera people on boats purely because they're boat people, right? They're, they are, they're used to being at sea. So it's far easier to give someone who's used to being at sea a camera than it is to have a sick camera person on a boat for three months, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I grew up on boats. Um I grew up in Alaska that well we I was there through throughout part of elementary school so I spent quite a bit of time on boats my dad's a boat person my one of my grandpas is a boat well two of my grandpas are boat people <laughs> so yeah just tons of time on boats and luckily I inherited the the no seasickness right like some of my poor siblings who didn't oh dear well, so tell, tell us about some of the other things that you've done, because I know you're a drone pilot. I know that you say you've done the shot over training now and some thermal mm -hmm. cameras. You've also, you're a BZAC diver? I am. I did learn to dive. 
filming, I do, I've done remote camera stuff for filming. So we put cameras in the water and then controlled them outside of the water. But I think the underwater filming, you, you pretty much have to be a fish to, <laughs> to be in it. And there's so many incredible camera people that are, you know, have grown up scuba diving or have committed all that time. And I just, I've seemed to, to, to really go towards long lens. And I think that's probably the route I'll keep going towards. I was going to ask you that. So is that that's something you find just your your most comfortable or, or your favorite thing to do? I, yeah, I find it's the one I'm probably I'd use obsessed with. I just like I love being behind the camera with the long lens. I love trying to shoot behavioral sequences. Um, that's that's kind of my true love there. I do like droning. I the shot over is amazing. I can't wait to do more on that. Um, but yeah, long lens is definitely my my obsession <laughs> so and did did you find that just by trying all of these things and then realizing that was the thing that you preferred to be doing um it was I think I just always knew like that's what I started on that's what I just completely loved I love trying new things but it's definitely the one that for me it's you just have such a cool peek into the natural world and you oftentimes you're working with animals that aren't used to people or you really can't get in close proximity to and I just yeah I just find it really exciting I've always loved nature I've always liked watching nature and being outside so it's just kind of adding on to that sure yeah do you think it's important to have that kind of one specialty over everything else I mean do you have any I don't think so I think I think people do it lots of different ways I know people who can you know jack of all trades they can do everything and they get tons of jobs because of that um yeah, I think you can do it either way. I don't think there's really a right answer for a lot of the things. There's no one way to do things. That's what's so wonderful about the industry, right? I mean, yeah. everyone comes from different places and does different things, and um, it's exciting that way. <laughs> so so where would you say, I mean, that obviously you want to stick with the long lens stuff, and I'm sure learning all new techniques as well. What are your goals now? I mean, you've done a lot. You you're, you know, You're a guide you're uh you've you've got your you're a diver right you're a drone pilot you're long lens you're shot over trained you're you can be out in a boat you're a nautilus live camera operator engineer you know you've done a ton of stuff and you're still really young and have your whole career ahead of you what what where where do you see your next steps you know what what do you have lined out for yourself I just con continuing to improve upon those things, I think is the big thing. I think I'm not where I want to be yet. I, I want to get better um, in terms of like the shot over stuff. I haven't done a shoot with it yet. Like I have gone and trained, but I'd love to do a shoot with some big, slow animals. So I in a long shoot so that I get lots of practice on it. Um, I think that's it. I'm, I'm not where I want to be yet with my camera work. And I just want to keep getting better. And you have like those people who really inspire you with their camera work. And Sophie is one of them. John Aitchinson's another one. And you see their camera work. And it's just, you know, keep trying to to get better and develop my own style and develop, you know, my own own skills. That's I, I think that's it. It's just keep getting better. That's fantastic. Let, let's talk a little bit about gear. And mm -hmm. the fact that you you went straight in at the deep end and you bought yourself <laughs> yeah, a did. red, right, right up front. And, you know, there's a lot of people who can't obviously do that. Yep. They're not in a position to do that. What would you say um, 
is the best way to for, for people who are looking to get into the industry and you know there is one of these things that everyone feels like they do need a red camera to be in the industry right i mean because it's at the top of the game it's it's yeah. what most of the blue chip series are filmed on those and aries um some uh panasonics and what have you but but really red has really taken over on landmark series just mm-hmm. talk us through a little bit about why you got a red and is it essential in your mind i don't think it's essential at all to be honest um I got a red personally because I am a bit slower to learn technology. I'm definitely a wildlife person. Um, I learn really well hands-on. I don't live anywhere remotely near a kit house or anyone that has a camera. Um, For me, and I had the resources, I I was lucky enough to be able to work since I was 13. I was lucky to get a scholarship so I don't have to pay for school. Um, So all the pieces came into place for it to work for me. But when a lot of people ask me, should I do it? I'd say, no, if you can go work in a kit house, if you can, you know, if you're in Bristol or if you're in one of those places where you can get access to cameras, use it as much as you can. Uh, Meet people, become friends with people who have different kits so you can learn together. I think there's so much to be said about networking and kind of finding a community, even if it's people who are at the same stage as you because you'll all develop together. You'll develop at different rates. You'll learn different things. Um, you, whatever camera you have is great to practice on. I, I, and I've, I'm sure people have heard that over and over, but at the end of the day, if you can shoot a sequence on a 7D, which is what I shot my master's film on, you can shoot a sequence on a red. Yeah. It, it'll be fine. That transition won't be as hard as you think. Um, yeah. You just need to show people you can shoot. I'd almost lean, if you want to be a long lenser, I'd lean more towards having a DSLR and a nice long lens to work with. Um, And just, you know, there's lots of people with those cameras. Make friends. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I think it's really good advice. And um, as you say, it's it's not, you know, if you can film, filming a sequence is what it's all about. Understanding how to storytell with images is what it's about and when you can do that that's where they're they're the people who get the jobs because the the networks know or the production companies know that they're going to get a sequence it's completely useless to them to get a couple of shots and no sequences so that's the most important thing and then the rest kind of works itself out right and if you really want to get hands-on with gear look at kit hiring places that's such a good place to start working and and part of me wishes that i would have because the people i've worked with who worked in kit rooms can can fix any problem in the field because that's what they do when they're working and they know how to use all the kit and they understand things. So one really great way to get started is to work in a kit room. And, you know, it might be a year or two and you might not go in the field, but the knowledge you're going to come out with is going to help you so much. And it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It doesn't matter if right. you're not in the field for the first five years or 10 years, whatever it might be. I don't know. If, as long as you get your hands on cameras and as long as you're making contacts and networking, it's it, you're you're doing great. Yeah. And I liked what you said at the beginning about you you actually learning technology came later for you, or it's more of a struggle because you had worked on the wildlife side. And I think that is so unbelievably important because at the end of the day, understanding behavior, well, I'll let you you tell us about that. You know, what what do you feel that your um, degree in wildlife ecology has, how has that helped you in this industry? I think 
and it can come through, you know, studying books, like you don't need to go to, to college for sure. it, like we've talked about. But if you go out in the field and you spend time with wildlife, which is what my degree allowed me to do, um, you'll learn how they react to things. You'll learn how to read animal behavior. You'll learn why different things are important for different ecosystems. You'll make really good connections with scientists who are the ones that end up having the stories that we go out and film. Um, but I think the biggest thing is if you spend time outside with wildlife and you know you have that natural curiosity where you want to learn more, why is this animal doing this? Why do they react this way? Then, then you'll be able to develop these skills that are really great for camera work where you can, you can move with the animal instead of reacting once the animal starts moving. Yeah, absolutely. And and I have always said it's so much more important. If you know you want to be in this industry and film wildlife, understanding behavior is is what it's all about. Because you yeah. you you could go and be the best camera person in the world. Like, you know, some of these Hollywood camera people, you put them out in the middle of nowhere and they tell them to film an animal, they wouldn't yeah. have a clue. Their picture might look nice, but if they don't know how to capture a sequence, follow an animal and capture behavior, then there's there's nothing, right? And that's, that's something I've had quite a few people come up and be like, oh, I want to be a wildlife camera person. And I'm like, okay, have you gotten out in the field? Are you, you know, like, well, I don't have a camera or I don't have an, I'm like, just get out in the field and watch things like after work, whatever it is, go learn how things move. And if you go into a producer and you tell them, well, I haven't done anything because I don't have a camera, they're, they're not going to, that's not, an, they don't want that excuse. It's, yeah. you, you need to have, have that drive and kind of to go yourself and do it whatever capacity it might be that's available obviously we all have different privileges but you can go out and watch wildlife even if it's a bird feeder in your backyard like you can learn how things move yeah there's got to be that understanding well and that passion you can see that you're passionate i can hear it and sit and see you on <laughs> youtube this will be but um you know you can see that you're you're excited talking about this stuff because you love being outside and seeing this stuff and and that is so important. It is you know the 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 time you spend trying to work this stuff out and enjoying wildlife and being outdoors is just such a a credit to what you're going to do when you pick a camera up and then understand where the animal's going to move next, or just film scenic shots and know where to go and know the seasons and and everything that comes with that is. It's probably more valuable, I would say, than anything else as a wildlife camera person. Because it's yeah, so and go ahead. And if you understand like the nature in your backyard, you can go and film a beautiful sequence of of something in your backyard. Like if you film a beautiful sequence of a squirrel, that's going to be ten times, a hundred times better than if you have a couple glory shots of like an elephant and a lion. And that if you have this really cool sequence where you know, a squirrel comes down and picks up a nut and goes, buries it and then goes up to to nest or whatever it might be, some sort of story and you're able to film it well, producers are going to be so much more impressed than if you have, you know, some backlit shot of a lion, but that's all you have. That is one of the most valuable pieces of uh, advice that I've heard. I mean, it really is. That is so mm -hmm. important. I mean, we talk about sequences, but that there in a nutshell is what it's all about. It, yeah. it, uh, excuse the pun with the squirrel and the nut. <laughs> but um but yeah i mean that's it i mean people want to travel to, they see camera people out in these exotic places and think that's what they where they have to be and if they go and get some shots like that and put it in a show reel that that will get them a job 
And what they don't realize, I mean, we, we have spoken about this before. If you look on social media now, if you're a photographer, it, it's so disheartening to look through because everything looks amazing. People are shooting mm -hmm. incredible photos everywhere. Yeah. Same with videography. People are doing incredible things. But it's not about how beautiful that shot is. It is about, is it telling a story? If it's beautiful and telling a story, fantastic. Then you're on it. <laughs> then you're on it, right. But it can be mediocre, but tell a really good story. And it's far more valuable than, you know, the best camera filming the best image without a story. And that's, that's something I really liked about Planet Defenders is they didn't want it perfect. And they actually told us that. They're like, we want a YouTube style film that can have beautiful footage in it, but we want it to be really feel like you're there in the moment. They're like, use your cell phone, use what, like anything to make it look like more of an adventure vlog learning about wildlife. Cause that's especially what kids relate to more. Yeah. If it's completely glamorous and fine tuned, kids don't think that they can be there doing that. So I thought that was something that was really cool about Planet Defenders is that it was totally about story. And I do yeah. think beautiful shots, like, obviously, I love getting the best light. I, that's what I want. But you can get the best light with a squirrel outside your door more than you can spending, you know, however much it is to go to Africa and having X amount of days. If I do something in my backyard, I can do every free minute I have to work on it. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, yes. And just spend that time honing. Uh, I mean, it's so, so, and the thing about the industry is there are all of these different types of programs, right? There are the mm -hmm. landmark series where you're trying to get those perfect shots, but yeah. there are also these other shows which are more reality-based or, as mm -hmm. you say, they're trying to make them so that they're more um, digestible by younger people who are watching YouTube. And YouTube yeah. says it all. I mean, YouTube yeah. is not a place you go for perfect footage right you go there <laughs> yeah. because you're interested in what someone's saying or you're interested in a story and it's the perfect example that of where people are spending most of their time watching video yeah and so um there is a place for everything i mean national geographic speaking with janet van hissering uh, it's janet han vissering um she was saying that the incredible dr pole is the most watched show on nat geo and mm -hmm. it's not one of the most incredibly shot shows there is right it's a yeah. fly on the wall cinema verite kind of reality style show mm -hmm. it's got the highest ratings it says everything yeah it really does so you're heading off tomorrow to be yep. back on the Nautilus. What do you have lined up after that? Do you have things lined up kind of for the next few months, the next few years? How does that work for you? Um, so currently I'm pretty booked up for next year. I'm being quite picky with shoots, to be honest. Um, Which is a nice ones, place to be. Yeah, taking yeah. ones I really want and hopefully taking ones that, you know, have a good message are kind of you know, not just making everything beautiful, but also telling a story that needs to be told. So I'm trying to make sure I get a mixture of both. Um, yeah, just kind of taking my time. I'm trying to learn balance better. I tend to be a bit of a workaholic. So I'm taking a month off here or there to make sure I'm home when my partner's home and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, Excellent. so booked up next year and then starting to book the year after. That's fantastic. So 
And, ta- and, and the work-life balance, so unbelievably important because like yeah. so many people in this industry, you can find yourself away for 10, 11, 12 months a year and, and that is your life. Yeah. So it's, that, that's important. So when do you think the turning point, point came for you, Erin, where you were looking for your next job to the point where you've been booked, you're booked up for the next year? How, how, what, what was the turning point? I think I had done a personal project for six months in Alaska and I went to these remote places that no one had ever filmed at and we're still editing it. It's been two years (laughs) editing it between jobs. Um, But I came back from that and I had shot every single day for six months, just practicing shooting, working on my field skills. And I showed that footage to Wildstar and that's when I, I got the job on Queens. And I think that was really the turning point because I went before that project, my personal project, I was still feeling very much like an, you know, kind of an imposter syndrome. Like I'm not ready. I'm this, I'm moving almost too quickly. I need to like really feel like I'm good enough to get the jobs I'm getting. And after that six months, I kind of went through a bit of a transformation myself, I guess, where I was comp. I could I could take a camera and I could go shoot a sequence. And I was filming in places where you know it was with bears that aren't used to people, and it's significantly harder to shoot a bear that's not used to people than a bear in Katmai. Um, so I think that was probably my turning point. Is and it it was almost just me gaining more confidence and more, um, yeah, just confidence in the fields with the camera. I mean, spending that time is so unbelievably important. And like you were saying earlier about people just not going outside because they don't have a camera. When you do have a camera, it's important just to be out there, not for paid jobs, because, of course, there aren't any paid jobs unless you've put the time in anyway. (laughs) But spending that time so that you get at one with your gear, so you know, I mean, you don't have to look at your gear really anymore. You can just operate it without looking. It becomes an extension of you. And just practice, practice, practice to, to hone yeah. it until you feel like you're not an imposter. I think imposter syndrome is very common in this industry. I mean, with oh, all industries, but yeah, we all feel it. Um, yeah. I, I remember when I first started in the industry as a host and I, I did not understand what I was doing there at all. Yeah. And I was embarrassed every day about being on camera. I was embarrassed when shows came out. I just felt like a complete imposter. And it's, I think it's rife in the industry because there's not really this place you get where you you kind of get a certificate at the end of everything you do. Okay, you're on to the next. Oh yeah, you're great. You're on to the next. No one really ever tells you that. You just get work and then you get some more work and you get some more work. And it's just this big learning curve. And Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it sounds like that that's a great story in terms of knowing that you put that time in. And that, yeah. you know, really changed the way you felt about uh, yourself. Yeah. And it's and it's one of those things where it wasn't that I like I obviously we've talked about I feel like I still have a long way to go and improve until I'm where I want to be. But I had gotten to a point where I was comfortable and happy with where I am now that I could keep learning and I could feel comfortable taking jobs that I wanted. Yeah, which is that fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. No, and it's great to be able to do that, to pick and choose, because there are so many 
there's such a variety of jobs. There's some jobs which are entertainment based very much and some mm -hmm. jobs that have impact and have actionable things for their audiences. And I yeah. think so many, so many people, I mean, certainly for me, that's, that's where I want to work. I, I don't, I don't feel that we, you know, entertainment purely for the sake of filming wildlife for entertainment is where it's at anymore. I feel like, yeah. you know, we're at this place, we're at a changing point where if we're out there, we should be making the biggest effort we can to at least have some kind of awareness attached yeah. to what we're doing. Um, yeah. Yeah. T t are you able to tell us about any of the projects you've got going on? I'm sure you probably can't. Uh, <laughs> I can't, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. <laughs> The never-ending NDAs. <laughs> exactly. I know. And they, they last forever, don't they, seemingly? Yeah. Um, so, Aaron, a final piece of advice for people out there. We've spoken advice already, but what would you say is the most important thing for anyone, wherever they're at, in, you know, they might have a camera, they might not have the camera, they might be at college, they might not be, but they just mm -hmm. know they want to be in this industry in one position or another, one role or another. What would you say is the most important thing just to maintain? I think just focus on your own journey. I think it's so easy right now to get caught up in, you know, the social media world, the, the whole comparing yourself to other people, but some of the best camera people have taken twice as long to get there. Um, and if you just focus on yourself and just focus on getting outside and enjoying it, then you're going to go a lot farther than if you're constantly scrolling through, you know, Instagram or whatever and going, Oh no, this person's my age and they're already here. Cause age doesn't matter. It, it's not, that doesn't matter at all. You know, you, just because you're older than someone doesn't mean you deserve something over them. Um, so just focus on your own journey and just enjoy it. That's great advice. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that's so worthwhile because as you say, age has not, I was, yeah. I don't know where I was. I was in my thirties, I think when I got into the TV industry and, yeah. um, and yeah, it doesn't matter as long as you're enjoying what you're doing and you have purpose behind it. I mm -hmm. think that that's the most important thing because otherwise say you're, you're just trying to do it for a job and earn money. It's never going to work in that way. So no, not and, for and, this. Cause you do make sacrifices in this job. I mean, like, balance is something you know relationships are something so if you're not enjoying your job and you're making these sacrifices you're not it's not you're not going to make it far yes yeah so so valuable Erin thank you so much for coming right. and spending time with me and um, especially when I know you were only back for I think a week or so you just, <laughs> you just came back right a week ago yeah I did. <laughs> and now you're off again. So I'm glad we managed to, uh, uh, you know, tie you down just for this, these few <laughs> Thank minutes. Thank you so much for being patient with me. <laughs> That's all right. No, it was, uh, it was well worth it. Very much appreciate it. And, and best of luck uh, heading out on the Nautilus and with your career. You really excited to see where it goes. Where can people stay up to date with what you're doing? Where can they find you online? Um, I am online at Aaron Rainey, spelled R-A-N-N-E-Y. Um, dot com and then also i do keep people pretty updated on instagram um and it's at e period r-a-n-n-e-y at e rainy um just because i don't live in bristol and i don't see the filming community so that's my way of being like hello i'm still alive in here um, well you know what's yeah. so what's so great about that is that so many people think they have to be in bristol right and you and don't you are, right 
I am on the opposite side. Yeah, I'm not even close to Bristol. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's what I use my social media for is just to remind people that I'm here and I'm filming and what I'm doing and where I'm at. So great to know. And it's great to know that you went to the UK as well. You didn't get necessarily the college you wanted to be in. Is that right? You Or you got you know, turned down by one and then... I did get turned down by one, but I was happy with either. And, yeah. But I do think it's funny because everyone assumes I went to UE, but I, I had an amazing experience where I was. But you kept going. I mean, the thing is, you yeah. kept going. You didn't stay in Bristol when I guess that nope. you could have done, I guess, being over there. But yep. here you are working from Washington, Alaska, and all over the world, and <laughs> um, and being very successful. So again, I think that's uh, that says everything. Erin, Thank thanks you. so much. It was great chatting with you. So nice to chat with you. Bye. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast, then please leave a rating and a comment. And remember to subscribe to keep up to date with the series' future episodes. You can find out more information about wildlife filming at jakewillers.com. And if you're interested in starting a career in the wildlife filmmaking industry or being mentored to further your career, then please visit jakewillers.com forward slash mentorship. Thanks for listening. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.